Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. All right, we are going to uh, get started this morning. I, I gave you a little bit of extra time because of the, the clocks. And if your body is messed up like mine is, then uh, perhaps it will give you a little bit of extra time. And, and we will do our question as a group this morning, so we're not going to do it table by table. But I thought it would be appropriate as we get started this morning to pray. Obviously, there's a lot going on uh, in our country this week. There's a lot going on uh, just for us as individuals. Um, so I thought it would be good as we get started this morning just to, uh, to pray, to calm ourselves, and hopefully leave behind everything that's been going on uh, that you've been dealing with throughout the week. Uh, these poor ladies have been dealing with... Uh, kids charged up on sugar. So <clears throat> we will say a special prayer for them. Uh, but let, let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, your sovereignty. God, that you uh, have never failed to reign. You have never failed to rule over your creation. God, in uh, reading uh in, in the book of Daniel and how Daniel was comforted uh, because he knew who you were. He knew that you were the ancient of days. He knew that you were the one who sits on the throne. He knew that you were the one who was in control. And although he didn't understand the future, didn't know what lies ahead, he knew the one who did. So, Father, like Daniel, we put our trust in you. We ask that you would give us wisdom as we vote as we uh, deal with one another. Uh, God, we are such a divided country, and we need your wisdom and your grace to know how to react to one another, uh, regardless of our persuasions. Father, I do pray that you will uh, give us this wisdom. I pray that you will give us peace. I pray that you will teach us to honor one another above ourselves, above, above our political persuasions, above anything else, Father, that you will allow us to see uh, one another as your children, as those who have been created in your image, uh, those who still bear your imprint. Father, uh, we pray that in all these things, uh, it would bring about glory and honor to you. Uh, God, that is what we truly desire is for your name to be lifted up. So it is in that spirit, God, that we ask these things, that your son's name might be magnified, might be glorified, and it's in his name that we do pray. Amen. Amen. Sorry, I caught some people at the door, didn't... <clears throat> so in, in light of what I was just talking about, I thought it would be very interesting... Uh, to to share for you uh, what Jesus had to say on the night before his crucifixion. So uh, the Gospels record the uh, night before Jesus' crucifixion in different ways. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke tend to do it one way. John does it very differently. What John records for us is almost... Um, I call it the fly on the wall perspective. 
what I mean by that is if you were a fly on the wall in the upper room, you would have observed what Jesus was doing with his disciples. And then almost that wall just moves moves with Jesus. So as they leave the upper room and as they, they leave the city, uh, they go down in, in through the valley, what is called the Kidron Valley, and they come up the other side to the Mount of Olives, which is where the Garden of Gethsemane is, Gethsemane is and where Jesus is going to spend time praying and it's on that journey if you will that Jesus prays a prayer and he begins praying for himself and then for his disciples but then he prays for you and he prays for me and uh, this is recorded in John chapter 17 verse 20 he says my prayer is not for them alone meaning the disciples I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message so that is, in essence, me and you. Uh, we have believed through the message of the, of the apostles that all of them, verse 21, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, the reason that I wanted to share that is uh, part of Paul's message is about this oneness. Uh, What we have seen in our class thus far is that as God views his cosmos, he sees two kinds of people. He sees the blessed, if you will, and the wicked, or the righteous and the wicked. And he also sees two kingdoms. He sees that there are two world systems that are in play. And uh, I will tell you, this has become acutely aware to me as I have actually just this morning finished uh, 60 days reading through the major prophets of the Old Testament. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Daniel, and... And over and over again, you have this idea that there is the world system and then there is God's system or God's economy, the world's economy, and how they are always in in contrast with one another. And so what intrigued me about that is... As we have studied in our class, that is sort of the great uh, backdrop, if you will, to what we're struggling with, right? Um, You know, even as we approach uh, voting, it is this struggle between good and evil. And and again, I don't want to get into a political discussion here. But simply, we have to decide what is ultimately going to be best and what is not going to be best. And I think the mistake that we make is we think we do that at the ballot box, right? In reality, where that happens is what God does. Sometimes God uses horrible people to accomplish his purposes. Think of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, uh, in, in the book of Exodus, was God's idea. God raised him to power. Think of Antiochus Epiphanes. You're like, well, I don't know who that is. Uh, if you read about him, he was a bad dude. And yet God used him just like he used the uh, people of the Maccabees. Uh, if you remember uh, Mark Christian talking about the hammer, uh, this guy, uh, Judas Maccabeus, led the Maccabean revolt, revolt and through Antiochus 
Judge Epiphanes out of Jerusalem. So even the nation of Rome, who was seminally responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus, if you read the book of Daniel, you understand that that was God's plan. It was God's plan that the kingdom of Rome should be. So my point in all of this is that as you read that sort of as the backdrop, okay? You have this backdrop of, of good versus evil and, and us even struggling. And yet here is Jesus. What does he pray for us? He doesn't pray that they would be powerful, that we would be powerful, that we would be knowledgeable, that we would be good looking, that we would be He says, I pray that they will be one. That they will be unified. They will be united. And so the question comes down to what is it that we are united in? Obviously the answer is the gospel, right? It is it is this concept that we ourselves cannot uh, save ourselves. And so this righteousness that God is providing has been made known to us according to the book of Romans. And that righteousness, this standing in God is available to us through the person of Jesus Christ. That's Paul's fundamental message in the book of Ephesians. And yet he says, I, I have this sub point. It's, it's point 1A, if you will. And that is, I want you to be one. And so that's sort of where we are. Last week we began to read in uh, Ephesians 4 how Paul says it begins with an attitude. It is an attitude of how you view yourself and others, right? When you view yourself properly in light of the gospel and you view others properly in light of the gospel, it causes you to have the kind of attitude that creates humility and gentleness and patience. And when you have those things, it sets up the opportunity for us to preserve this unity that God has created. Well, then this week he's going to go on and talk about something else. And I thought it would be uh, kind of a fun discussion um, just to throw this in here. Why did God give spiritual gifts? And maybe uh, you might want to as well throw in what is a spiritual gift. So it's kind of a two-fold question. What is a spiritual gift? And why did God give them? What do you think? <clears throat> Rick? If we look down a little bit further in Ephesians, it'll say for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. It's for the purpose of building up uh, okay. to a point of maturity so that we can all attain to that fullness that he talks about. Okay. Um, I'm going to use... A, I, I want to say it's maybe in the old authorized version, so the King James Version. It's this word, we don't use this, edification, which basically means building up uh, to maturity. It has that concept in there. Okay, what else? Very good. Yes, ma'am. Um, adding slightly to that, if, if we're, well, we will be in heaven, and if we are So maybe our spiritual gifts will be used to be serving him forever. Okay. So service is that is that kind of okay? Well it kind of goes along with education, but I think it's um, so that we can actually look like Jesus. Okay. Because I think that many times people who are non believers become believers because they see Jesus in you. 
Okay, modeling, so that we, uh, you know, we, we kind of use this vernacular, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. They, they see him and his service, his ministry through us. Okay, good. What else? Ron, you're out of your sling. Is that good? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That was on the recording. <laughs> Tell your doctor not to listen. <clears throat> no, I'm off. I threw it away. <laughs> I'm walking. The walking dead or the, or the walking wounded, I mean. Okay, what else? Why did God give spiritual gifts? Diversity. I'm sorry? Diversity. Okay, diversity. What, what is a spiritual gift? And when I think about that, I think it's that unique enhancement that can only it's given by the Spirit of God. That it's not my gift in and of myself, but it's only effective when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm going to ask you to slightly embellish your answer. Um, enhancement of what? Um, an ability. Okay. A spiritual ability. Okay. Enhance a, a spiritual ability. Okay. There are people all around the world who have the ability to sing, for instance, who don't do anything with it as far as God goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone has gifts, mm-hmm. but when we look at the gifts God gives us to use for the building of the church, maybe it puts it in a little different light. So maybe, uh, maybe it enhances our the gifts that we have or our uh, natural abilities, for instance. Okay. So uh, everybody, you know, athletes have gifts that you and I don't have. I saw uh, Jim was wearing proudly his Alabama, which I asked him to take it off politely. Uh, <laughs> he's wearing his his Alabama, uh, their quarterback. If you follow college football at all, Tua Tungavailoa, I thought it was very interesting. I'll throw this in here. Um, Ed Ogeron, who is the coach of LSU, who Alabama was playing last night, who did he parade out just prior to the game? His brother. To a brother. He's recruiting him hard. Uh, but these apparently these boys have incredible abilities. Uh, we know that Tua does, and I assume his brother does, or they wouldn't be recruiting him. Um, but in a spiritual sense, we probably don't see them using those things. That's not to say that they couldn't be in some way if God chose to use them. So they are things that maybe God chooses to use that are inherent in us that he enhances. Fair enough? Kind of a working definition. Um, So as we're talking about spiritual gifts here, why did God give them? Um, what, What about deciding to use them whose choice is it to decide to use a spiritual gift ours ours okay so in other words we know what they are we can become aware of what they are but we must be the one that decides to use them in other words god's not going to flip a switch in us and all of a sudden it's going to happen we're not going to be robots um and in that process how how does he do that how, how do we make that choice to utilize our spiritual gifts? Make, does that question, uh, it's kind of a confusing question. I think the old song, God leads his dear children along, mm-hmm. I think through the leading and the growing up in Christ, 
uh, you take talents that you've always had, but then, uh, I mean, Jim is, uh, does a lot of Christian counseling, mm -hmm. right? and so he's a really good listener, mm -hmm. uh, and we'll be able to use that listening skill to, to edify Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm trying to, there's, I have an idea in mind, and I, I'm not sure how to ask this question. Um, so, in, in that, uh, as we go, th well, let me, let me do it this way. So, uh, Susie was sharing with us, they were in uh, New Orleans, and New Orleans is a rather depressed city. There's a lot of poverty, a lot of homelessness. And so, when you see that, you see what? Need. You see need. And when you see need, you realize I have the ability to respond to that need, don't you? So if you had the gift of, let's say, giving and or hospitality, you might be able to respond to that need. So in reality, it is this working of observation, seeing need, and then reaching out and meeting that need, right? Okay. Now, <clears throat> what does this have to do with what we are talking about? Um, perhaps it is a stretch, but let's do uh, a little bit of reading in the book of Ephesians and see if we can uh, make sense of this. And I will tell you, I'm chopping up uh, this section. I had intended to cover the whole section, but um, Mark Christian in his Wednesday night class has been covering... Uh, I don't know, 11 through uh, 14, 15, something like that. So um, I'm not really going to cover that. If you have questions about that, you can go back and listen to the podcast. So I picked out a few select verses, but for right now, we'll read the whole thing. Uh, verse 7, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to begin at chapter 7. Excuse me, verse 7. So we went through verse 6 last week. Verse 7 says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, <clears throat> that is uh, Paul's 
summary, in chapter 4, he begins by telling us that we are to live a life that is worthy of the calling that we have, and that means having the proper attitude towards ourselves and towards others. And then he launches into this section about, uh, we might generally call it a section about spiritual gifts. Um, But there's an interesting distinction that Paul makes here. Uh, He makes a distinction between grace gifts and office gifts. Okay, so we're going to kind of look at that. And then he, the other thing that he does is he quotes from the Old Testament. Anybody have a reference Bible? So where that quotation is, it tells you where that comes from. When it says, when he, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train. Okay, it's Psalm 68. I encourage you this week to sit down and read Psalm 68 because it... It is a psalm that is unique. It's about the dedication of the temple. It was the time when Solomon created the temple and it was being dedicated to the Lord. And so the psalmist wrote the psalm about what God had done. And Paul kind of misquotes it here. And for years, this has caused scholars to, you know, have a collective Gasp and oh no, he he, the great apostle Paul misquoted Psalm 68. Well, Psalm 68 is about the fact that God went out and got gifts and he received gifts from all over the nation of Israel in order to build the temple. What do you need to build something? Anybody here ever built a house? I mean, not physically built it, but built their own, built your own house. Nobody. Um, how about uh, Jim's built a, a business, and in order to start a business, maybe not his particular business, but in order to start a business, you have to have something, don't you? Money. You got to have money. You got to have capital. And in order to create the temple, there needed to be capital, and so God received gifts from all over. As a matter of fact, even people outside of the nation of Israel brought gifts to God in order for this to be built. Now, they didn't literally bring them and lay them at the feet of God. They they brought them to the priests, and Solomon collected them up. And so the gold came from all over the world. The, the trees came from all over the world. Now, how in the world does that, God receiving those gifts from men, how does that in some way describe to us the fact that God would give gifts to somebody? Do you see the difference? Paul says here when he quotes it that God gave gifts to people. Psalm 68 says he received them from people. How's that work? Well, you got different people in the building process and some are more talented at laying a foundation and throwing concrete. The others are framers. The others still go on and on. They may not all know God, but they have the talent. So you draw on the ones that are good at laying the foundation, those that are good at framing, those that are good at plumbing and electrical. Mm-hmm. So he takes the talent of those, even those that are not Christian. Okay. Kathy. In Psalm, they were, he's referencing the building of the location of the temple, where in the New Testament, we are the temple. And so he's giving those gifts to build up his temple, the body of Christ is his temple, his dwelling place. Mm-hmm. So then he's giving the 
if you were a first century worshiper of, of Jehovah and you came to the temple and you looked upon you know, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was something that you could see from a ways off. It, it's whitewashed uh, exterior. You could see uh, it stood out. Uh, it actually was at the highest point of the city of Jerusalem, which was a high place anyways. And so as you would approach, you would see it. And as you walked in, you would see the gold inlays. You would see the carvings. Who benefited from all of those gifts that were brought in in order to build the temple. It was the worshiper, wasn't it? So even though God received them, God received it and he gave it right back out, didn't he? He gave it right back out to the people who were going to come worship him who had the benefit of those things. And so in essence, when Paul says he gave gifts to men, and he's quoting Psalm 68 here, he's not misquoting it. What he's saying is God received those gifts, and it became a beautiful dwelling place for God. But then he immediately returned it to the people so they could benefit from it. And that becomes a beautiful picture of spiritual gifts. God receives the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But then he immediately turns around and gives it right back to us, does he not? I think it's important for us to always remember that Jesus Christ's primary sacrifice was to God and God alone. In other words, his relationship with God was such that he wanted to please the Father. He wanted to give those things to the Father. We become the beneficiaries of that relationship. And so notice what Paul says here, verse 7, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So when we talk about spiritual gifts, in reality what we are talking about is grace gifts. That is the fact that when God applies grace to our lives, it enhances and enables our natural abilities in such a way that we can serve him. That's what a spiritual gift is. It is the application of his grace in our lives and to our lives to transform something that we might use for selfish gain, right? Jim is a great listener, great speaker. He could become a politician and and rule the world, right? But he uses it not for personal gain, not... (laughs) The the wheels are turning over there. (laughs) Not for personal gain, not for those things, but because of Christ, he chooses to use it for something that is going to bring honor and glory to God. See the difference? That's a spiritual gift. And so uh, the first thing that Paul says is in these grace gifts, uh, he, he gives them as he determines. See, this is the part we struggle with. Uh, as a matter of fact, in other sections of the scripture, Paul refers to, the, to these gifts to be viewed as a body. We are the, we are the body. And you've seen these before where he says, can the hand say to the foot, I don't need you? Have you ever been without, uh, I know Ron has, a part of your body for a period of time? 
It's not easy, is it? I thought of this this morning, uh, so I'll give you a little bit of insight into my life. So my head is basically a barometer, and as the pressure changes, uh, things affect my equilibrium uh, because of my strokes to where balance becomes an issue. Uh, And then another problem that I have Uh, Because of where my strokes were, uh, I remember one of the tests that they would do, they hold out their finger, and I have to sit and do this. And I can do it fine with my right hand. Touch my nose, touch their finger. When I do it with my left, I miss all the time. It's kind of comical. The same thing happens, I was splitting wood yesterday, and I kept missing. (laughs) I, I would hit the piece of wood, but rather than hitting it in the middle, I would take a little chunk out of the side. So now I have all these logs that have chunks out of the side, but they're not split. Um, I went to shave this morning, and uh, there is a tick in my arm that when I reach for here, uh, sometimes it ends up over here. Even though I'm looking in the mirror, I don't quite hit my cheek, I miss a little bit. It's, it, it's this concept called aim, you know, like a boxer, he always hits what he's aiming at. You don't want to get in a fight with me because rather than hit your hand, I might actually hit your nose or not, not a fight, a spar with me because I might hit you somewhere that I'm not supposed to. So uh, this morning I was thinking of this as I was shaving. Uh, now I lost my entire train of thought. Oh, I know where I was going with this. Um, <laughs> You're in the right class. <laughs> <laughs> so there are times when I had no use of the left side, my, my left hand. And being left-handed, that's frustrating. No writing, brushing your teeth becomes very, very difficult. You know, you got to brush your teeth and you end up toothpaste all up the side of your cheek. That's always comical. Go to, go to comb your hair and you do one of these numbers, you know. Fortunately, you know, you can tell. I don't spend a whole lot of time on my hair. Uh, so that's why I keep it cut short. It's simple. You just dry it and go. Um, but that's the concept that Paul gets at in this idea of the body. That the foot needs the hand. The hand needs the cerebellar portion of the brain in order to understand where to point, where to go. And so it can't, we can't do without one or the other, right? What does that create? Confusion. Confusion when it's not working. But when it's working, what does it create? Synergy. Say that word again. Synergy. Synergy. Equality. In other words, there is not one part that is more important than the other. I would say dependence. Okay, dependence? Yes. Um, now, does that mean that all parts are equally... Uh, they are all equally important, right? But some of them are more noble than others. There's a reason why we wear clothes, Right? Because we don't want one another to see us in all of our, uh, I did spend some time in the South, so all of our nakedness, right? We, we don't want people to see that. And so Paul will say at some points there are noble parts of the body and there are ignoble parts of the body. 
And so we clothe those things. And basically, the same thing is, is being said here in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Christ has given to each one of us the grace as he apportioned it. He looked at us and he said, I'm going to give Bob this gift, and this is how God, uh, Bob is going to use that gift in my body. I'm going to give Jim this gift, and this is how he's going to use it in, in my body. I'm going to give Rick this gift. And sometimes what we do as human beings, we look at Rick or we look at Jim and we say, why didn't I get that gift? Why did I get the gift that I have? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Can you quote it? It is by grace we have been saved through faith and this not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. What's 2, 10 say? We have been created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. You see how as you begin to view this letter in its totality, you begin to see a cohesiveness to Paul's argument. You were created in Christ to do good works, and now God has gifted you with the ability to do those good works, and he expects you to do them. The expectation is that you will carry them out. You might want to pull your toes back a little bit, because this is the point where I ask the question, why aren't you using them? Why are you not using the gifts that God has given you to build up, to build up, to model, to uh, enhance, to bring diversity, to serve? You see, that is Paul's argument. He says, these things have been given to us. Uh, verse 10, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles and prophets. So then he goes into the office gifts. So he's talked about the grace gifts. That's the first thing that he talks about. These natural tendencies, the, our personality that is empowered by the Spirit of God uh, through grace to produce supernatural works. And I might just point out to you as well, uh, I talked about Ephesians 2.10. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 3. Um, I was reading through the book of Ephesians this week and ran across this. I was impressed with it. Ephesians 3.2 Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. Notice it's, it's God's grace that was given to Paul that gave him his calling, his vocation. Uh, turn over to uh, chapter 3 verse 7. Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Paul says, I'm an apostle because Jesus Christ gave me grace. And in that grace, he called me and set me aside to be an apostle. So we have the grace gifts, and those are, um, I think those... While Paul gives us, in different parts of the New Testament, he gives us categories, I think those are innumerable. What I mean by that, if it truly is our personality, our tendencies, our abilities, enhanced by the grace of God, it's unique as our personality. Think about that. There might be no other person in the cosmos that has the exact gifting as you. Isn't that neat? But there are some, Paul goes on, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher. 
There are four offices that God has given to equip the church to be brought up into its truth and a knowledge of the Son of God so that they can be unified. Why do we come on Sundays and listen to Mark or Michael or whomever is preaching that day? Tradition? Why do we do that? Some might call it tradition. Okay. But I call it encouragement. Okay. To be encouraged? To be fed? To be fed? Uh, I'm going to come back. Encouraged and to do what? Okay, to do good works, to to continue on in the faith. Yep. Um, To to be fed. fed, To give you encouragement to go on. To me, when you're not fed each week, then it's easy to become discouraged. Okay. So so when we leave this world, or when we leave this place, we go back. Remember, how many uh, economies or systems are at work in the world? Two, when we're inside this building, we're under the auspices of the economy of God, right? But when we go out the doors, what do we enter into? The world system. And how do we stand up against that world system? The answer comes from what Susie said. Because we are fed, because we are offered truth that is based on the economy of God, it gives us hope to enter that realm and to live. So when Paul says, this is not our home. We're just strangers here, aliens here. And you will have that sense as you walk in that economy that is foreign to God's economy. And you say, how in the world am I supposed to live in this? Well, let's see, what did, what did Mark say this week? How am I supposed to respond to those people who are my enemy? What did Jesus say? Love your enemy. Forgive your enemy. Oh, you see, that's what it means to be fed. It's not just about feeling good walking out. And boy, that was a good sermon. He did a good job. It's about utilizing that in context of that evil world system. Make sense? Okay. Why else? To be challenged. Challenged to do what? To examine what your current beliefs are and then put them in perspective and decide whether or not Mark and or others are correct or not. Okay. So we have a tendency to maybe believe some of the lies of the world, don't we? And sometimes those strongholds, those lies need torn down. And so the truth tears those down. Great. To have have our perspective corrected, uh, sometimes we need behavioral rebuke. You know, uh, we're walking around instead of loving our enemies, we're hitting them over the head with a two by four. And sometimes we need to be corrected and say, eh, that's not the best way to go about this. Um, so there is a sense in which when we come each week and we sit under the teaching of God, it enables us to be the minister of Jesus Christ. I, I have a, uh, it, it's a personal pet peeve. And I hold nobody uh, responsible. But when somebody gets up on stage and says, I'm a minister here, I say, yeah, so am I. What's your point? And I don't mean that in a way of arrogance or anything like that. We are all called to be ministers. We are all called to exercise our gifting. Yours happens to be exercised within the church. 
Mine is exercised outside of the church. Do you see the difference there? The, the similarity, not the difference. We are called to be ministers. And so here we have Paul saying, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. And, and I would encourage you, underline that Christ has apportioned it or as Christ deems. Just always remember, when you struggle with whatever your gift is, just remember, you're fighting against God. Good luck. <laughs> That's all I'll tell you. Um, you are fighting against what God has created you to be and to do. And then at the end of this section, uh, verses 15 and 16, we read this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. This is probably the most one of the most misapplied uh, sections of Scripture in all of the Bible. Because, well, let me just ask you, what is Paul saying here? He says, instead of being tossed around and, and living according to the, the scheming of the world and all that, we will be speaking the truth in love and... Uh, and uh, speaking the truth in love, we want all things grow up into him who is the head. What is Paul saying there? You're all like, you just said it's misquoted. I'm not answering that. <laughs> I think that um, as a community, we, um, you know, especially in Stephen Ministry, we learned that, you know, you tell the truth to people, but you have to say it in a way that helps them to grow. Okay. And so when we hold each other accountable and we speak the truth in love, then people can progress mm-hmm. um, to become more like Christ. Yep. So we depend on each other to kind of hold our, each other accountable okay. where we're headed. Okay. What if I told you the word speaking does not in any way, shape, or form appear in the original here? You see, when the translators read this word that is used here, they have to come up with something to write down, right? You're, you're translating something. You don't have people that, that speak Greek, and so you have to put it in English. And so they chose Speaking the truth in love. In reality, if you read this literally, it would be truthing in love, is what Paul said. You see, the idea here is not so much what I say, it's what I do. It's how I, and Joyce, I believe you're the one that said this, it's how I model. Have I been so impressed with God and the grace that he has given me in my life and his personhood that I am living in his truth and I demonstrate that widely to the people around me and I am I doing it in love am I truthing in love now sometimes that means we are going to have to speak the truth we're going to have to tell somebody hey what you know Mike you're acting like a knucklehead quit it, Maybe that might not be the most loving way to say it, but we're going to have to say that. Uh, but generally speaking, the idea here is the acceptance and the embracement of the truth and living that reality. And notice what Paul says. He says, when we do that, when we embrace the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. Think about... Jesus' disciples, if you will. Uh, You know, we've been going through the Gospels now for, I don't know, is it two years? I've kind of lost track. 
Um, <clears throat> but did they that the moment that Jesus sort of walks by the Sea of Galilee and sees you know Peter, James, John, Andrew, and he says, "Come follow me." Did they grasp from that moment what Jesus was doing? When do you think they, in reality, grasped what he was doing? Okay, after he died? Why do you say that? I'm just curious. Well, because that's when they had to go to work. Okay. <laughs> you know, and he left them the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And he gave them the instructions. He'd been teaching them all along. But I don't think they really got it. Yep. What was really going to happen until it happened. Mm-hmm. And when he came back, then they knew then that they were to work for him. Yeah. Because they gave up everything and went with them and was with him through that time. I really don't feel like until... And I think a lot of times with us, things don't hit us until it just really hits us. Mm-hmm. Something in our lives happen. Mm-hmm. It can be a multitude of things that we realize none of this is important. Yeah. The only thing that's important is living for him. Mm-hmm. Trying to model ourselves, trying to minister wherever we are. Mine's in a high school with students. Uh, that's our mission field, mm-hmm. wherever we're at. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, the disciples, they finally figured out mm-hmm. after he died what they were supposed to do. But that's, you know, that's what I think. I think you're exactly right, Susie. If you look at the, the times when Jesus would say to him, I'm heading to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to die. He told them over and over again, this is what's going to happen. And No, not you, Lord. We're not going to let it happen. I think the, the reality comes somewhere around John 21 when Jesus is on the shore with them again, cooking him breakfast after the resurrection. Peter has denied Jesus. All the disciples deserted him at his, at his death. He has appeared to them. And it's in that moment that they realize he came for a reason. And I'm part of that reason. When, when Jesus looks at Peter in the face and he says, Peter, feed my sheep. Tend my flock. That's your job now. You see, I think in that moment is when they grasp the idea of what Jesus was coming for. So... There are two things that I want to uh, sort of point out to you here. Um, Oneness, as Paul is talking about oneness here, it means equality. We are all given spiritual gifting in order to help the body grow, to help the body build up. And secondly, oneness means maturity. Notice what he says, verse 16, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We're every supporting ligament there. As we do what we are called to do, the church will build itself up in love. It, Paul says here it will build itself up. In reality, the head will build it. Remember in, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church. I will do it. 
It won't take you. It won't take miracles. It won't take those things. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to use you. I'm going to utilize you working. And so I think we have this this section here where Paul is telling us that to be one means to see ourselves in a sea of equality. We have to be careful here because Paul is not saying uh, an ecumenical type equality where all theological beliefs are held in the same regard. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is personally, individually, we see one another as equally important. And then secondly, uh, as we pursue oneness, as we pursue and preserve that oneness, it's going to cause a growing up into maturity in Christ. So Paul is saying that the sum of the parts of the body of Christ is greater than any individual component. Let me say that again. The sum of the parts of the body of Christ is greater than the individual components. However, the individual parts have to still function. We still have to do our part. So what's your part? What is it that God has called you to do? Um, I, I wrote down two questions. I didn't, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't spend a whole lot of time um, on application this week simply because I think this is more the Spirit of God and you who must answer these. So here are two questions you might ask yourself. What gift do I have that I am withholding from the body of Christ? How can I begin to share this gift with the body at CCO? In other words, if you attend here, you are part of the body of Christ, big C, the big church, but you're also part of this local fellowship, and you have something to offer. So what are you offering? I mean... The reason that I teach is not because I want to uh, study the Bible or I want to record these things. It's because that is what God has gifted me with and I, I feel compelled to do it. It's my part. Kathy ministers individually because she's good at that. Uh, she's a good listener. Uh, she also has wisdom in order to impart into people uh, in, who are struggling. And so each of us have some role that we can play. And so my question to you is, what is your role here? Um, I believe, I forgot to look at this, but at some point there's the next steps coming up. Maybe you need to attend that and figure out what you can get. You know, is there a ministry you can get involved? Thursday night. The Thursday night service, they're looking for people. I, at, I thought of this when Adam was in here earlier. Uh, they need people to serve on Thursday nights. Acts of service is a spiritual gift. Uh, Jack, you know, he's got the tag on every week. He's doing something. Uh, we always laugh. We saw uh, the couple that holds the door open for us when we come in. We saw them one time, but they weren't holding the door. And it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> now we know who you are because uh, we're so used to you holding the door for us. We put them in that context. Uh, children's ministry always needs help. But there is some role that only you can fill. 
So here's, here's another question for you. And this one has more to do with uh, the growing up in Christ, if you will. In what ways are you not growing up? In what ways are you struggling to not move forward in your faith? You see, that could be the thing that is keeping you from ministering. In other words, you look at it and you say, well, I can't go minister because I'm not growing. And if you're not growing up, you're probably not building up either, right? Matter of fact, most of the time, if you're not growing up, you're probably tearing down. You are looking at other people and you're finding ways to undermine them, the, their thoughts, their, the way that they are. Uh, so what I wanted to do as we conclude this morning is just simply uh, leave it with you and, and have an open discussion. Uh, those questions are for you in your quiet time, your private time. But what are some of the ways that you are aware of that there are needs within the body of Christ here at CCO that maybe somebody in this room can step forward and fill. What are, what are some of those things that maybe you think of that you are aware of that somebody could, could jump into and, and fill? Could be a person with an individual need. You don't have to be specific. But I think it's good to, uh, you know, time and time again in the New Testament, when there was a need, they made the need known. So it might be something as simple as, hey, I'm aware of a family that uh, there is a, a member of the family that is now confined to a wheelchair and they need a ramp built. And we need somebody to build that ramp. Do you have those skills? Because I know there are some people sitting over here at this table that have the ability to link you with other people who can then, if you have the ability and the tools and all those kinds of things to, to build that, they can link you with the people that can provide the resources and get that done. So is there some kind of a need that you are aware of that you think somebody within the body of Christ could fill? Or, here's the second part of this, what is the unknown need that you have that you think needs to be filled? Something you're not being taught, something you're not being challenged with, something like that. Any thoughts? Sometimes I think God puts on your heart and you think, that's taking me outside my comfort zone. Hmm. I really want to do that. Uh, and you fight it. And you oppose it. And then you turn around and find out you're right in the middle of it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the way it works. Mm-hmm. Mike does prison ministry. Mm-hmm. And being a quiet guy that he is, I know that has to be a challenge for him to step outside of his comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Just in speaking with Mike and knowing what he does with the motorcycle mm-hmm. So yeah, sometimes we're challenged to step outside our comfort zone. Yep. Puts it right in front of us, smacks us right in the face. Mm-hmm. Other thoughts? 
Well, you were asking a while ago about why you come to church. Um, I thought of two other words, which would be conviction mm-hmm. and direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, the sermon today, you're either all in or you're all out. Mm-hmm. You know, that song was amazing. I love that song. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that we're convicted when we come to church, and hopefully God gives us a sense of direction with each message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's, uh, I think, the ultimate takeaway from this discussion about spiritual gifts is something that we don't talk a lot about in in church today, and that is um, we are all at some point going to give an account for what God has given to us, right? And I think it's important for us to say, God, am I utilizing the grace that you have given to me in such a way that is pleasing to you? Or are you frustrated because I'm not using what you've given. I, I truly believe that one of the things that we don't do, we, we, um, we have a tendency within the body of Christ to be so at ease with ourself and our place. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're uh, the equivalent of a Christian couch potato. I mean, we do not see ourselves as necessarily having to do something. We, we just, you know, we're, we're just here to take it in. And the thing that, that I want you to take away from this, what, when Paul is talking about living a life that is worthy of the gospel, he's talking about somebody that goes to work. Talking about somebody who is ministering on behalf of Jesus Christ. And we cannot participate in this gospel life without understanding that I have that responsibility. Does that make sense? Let's pray, shall we? Father, we, uh, we come before you, first of all, grateful that you have gifted us. Um, God, I pray that this week you will bring to mind those things that you want us to be participating in. Um, God, and and not only those public ministries that you want us to participate in, but God, those unseen things like prison ministry, um, loving the person that nobody sees, going to sit with somebody who is sitting completely by themselves. Father, I pray that we will learn to embrace your truth and to do it in love so that we preserve the unity that you have created. God, in that, that the world around us may be able to see the glory that is in you, in your Son, and is being portrayed in us through him. God, we pray these things so that we might be able to bring glory and honor to your Son, Jesus Christ, and make his name famous. Father, be gentle with us this week as you uh, press this into the deep recesses of our lives. Um, Give us the ability to have sweet times of fellowship with you as we struggle with these thoughts, God. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.